So this morning, I am uh, finishing up a sermon series that I have been doing all summer, basically, through the book of Acts, the story of the early church. Uh, I'm not going to try to summarize all 27 chapters in this opening, but I do want to mention that last week we saw that Paul was on his way to Rome with this ship of many people that got, wound up getting shipwrecked on an island called Malta. Um, he's on his way to stand trial before Caesar in Rome, and uh, he's shipwrecked. And the passage we're going to read today, they board a new ship and they're on their way to Rome. Um, so I'm going to pick it up in Acts 28, 16 to 31. This is, again, the end of the book of Acts. So Acts 28, verses 16 through 31. When we got to Rome, Paul was allowed to live by himself with a soldier to guard him. Three days later, he called together the, leader of the, Jew, the leaders of the Jews. When they had assembled, Paul said to them, My brothers... Although I have done nothing against our people or against the customs of our ancestors, I was arrested in Jerusalem and handed over to the Romans. They examined me and wanted to release me because I was not guilty of any crime deserving death. But when the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, not that I had any charge to bring against my own people. For this reason, I have asked to see you and talk with you. It is because of the hope of Israel that I am bound with this chain." They replied, We have not received any letters from Judea concerning you, and none of the brothers who have come from there has reported or said anything bad about you. But we want to hear what your views are, for we know that people everywhere are talking about this sect. They arranged to meet Paul on a certain day and came in even larger numbers to the place where he was staying. From morning till evening, he explained and declared to them the kingdom of God and tried to convince them about Jesus from the law of Moses and from the prophets. Some were convinced by what he said, but others would not believe. They disagreed among themselves and began to leave after Paul had made this final statement. The Holy Spirit spoke the truth to your forefathers when he said through Isaiah the prophet, Go to this people and say, You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. Therefore, I want you to know that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles, and they will listen. For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. Boldly and without hindrance, he preached the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ. This is God's word. Let me pray before I continue. Lord, I ask that you would open our ears to hear and open our hearts to understand this message. Reveal yourself to us in a deeper way this morning and transform us that we might become the men, the women that you've called us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. So I want to just leave, uh, I want to use this last section to highlight three major points that come up in this section and most importantly in the whole book of Acts. So I'm going to summarize in some sense the most important parts of the book of Acts. And the first point I want to mention is this. Jesus is the hero. Why do I say that? I, I find Acts 28 kind of anticlimactic. I don't know if you do as well, but, you know, the second half of Acts has been largely about the story of this man, Paul, who was Saul, a Pharisee, a Jewish religious leader, who was converted by Jesus on the road to Damascus. He had been all about persecuting Christians, and now Jesus shows up and completely transforms his life. 
from someone who wants to kill and, and put Christians in jail to being the foremost evangelist, bringing the message of the gospel everywhere he goes, all over the Roman Empire. And he faces trouble and hardship everywhere he goes. And then, in the last few chapters, he's been arrested by the Jews, as he says. He's been handed over to the Romans. He's going to stand trial now before Caesar. And it ends here. No word of whether he survived the trial or not. No word of whether they found him guilty. No word of what happens in Rome here. It just, it ends with this statement. If I can go back again to what it says there. Boldly and without hindrance, he preached the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's how it ends. Now, church history tells us that Paul was executed by Nero, who was the Caesar, who hated the Christians and put a lot of them to death. And while he was in Rome, we also know that he wrote letters to churches, including Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and the letter to Philemon. So he was very busy. He did a lot for the gospel ministry while he was in Rome. But we don't hear about that in the book of Acts. All we know is that he's here on house arrest, and he continues to preach the gospel while he waits for his trial. And we don't know why Luke ended it the way he did. He doesn't tell us. But if we believe that God inspired the Holy Scriptures, then I do believe that there, it's, it's, a, it's a fitting end to the book of Acts. It's a fitting end to the book of Acts because, as I just said, it's not about Paul. It's not about Peter. It's not about the early church. It, it truly is, first and foremost, about Jesus. That, again, is what Paul is declaring. He's teaching about Jesus. He's pointing people to Jesus. Paul's not the hero of the story. So whether he lived or died in the end, it's not about Paul. It's about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the one who lived the perfect life that we could not live. Jesus is the one who died a sacrificial death on the cross in our place. Jesus is the one who can save you from eternal separation from God. Jesus is the Savior of the world. Jesus is Lord. Not Paul, not Peter, not you, not me, not anyone else. And so that's the way the book of Acts ends, with Paul pointing to Jesus. And so even though it seems anticlimactic, I find it very fitting that this is how Acts ends. It's about Jesus. Jesus is the hero of the story. In case you have not noticed, pastors and teachers come and go in your life. Churches come and go in your life. In fact, even nations rise and fall as far as their Christianity goes. Regions of the world rise and fall. I mean, one of the great apologetics, I think, for the Christian faith is how you look at every religion in the world and how it's like 95% of Hindus still live, live around where it started, and the same with Buddhists, and the same with Muslims, and the same with Jews. But Christianity is one of those that has just spread across the globe. You can't really probably read this from where you are, but... This is the percent of world's Christians in each continent from 1900 to 20, 2100, looking ahead into the future here. How it, it's declined in Europe, how it's going up in Africa and Asia. How right now, if you look around the world, there's 631 Christians, million Christians in Africa, 601 million in Latin America, and then Europe, and then Asia, and then North America and Oceania. What does that tell you? Again, it's about Jesus. It's not about a people, a church, a pastor. It's always about Jesus. And even though you might look around at the state of Christianity in America and feel like, oh my goodness, it's on the decline, the gospel cannot be stopped. Jesus is the hero of the story. 
And if the church is on the decline in America, the church is on the increase in, in South Africa, in, I'm sorry, in Africa, in Latin America, in South America, in Asia, China, Korea, all over the world. Jesus is the hero of the story. It's not about any pastor or teacher. It's not about any church. It's not about even any nation or region. When I was in college, I was part of a Christian fellowship named uh, InterVarsity. And I led small groups there for a few years, small group Bible studies. And so there was a large group that would meet on Thursday nights. And then on, during the week, there would be small groups that would meet in people's dorm rooms. And I led one with a co-leader sophomore year and junior year and senior year. And I, I remember my senior year hearing that there was a young woman who had been in my group junior year. And she'd been assigned to a different group senior year. And she had stopped going. And the reason she said is, it's not like the one that Eric led. Now, the immature and self-centered part of me, you know, was puffed up on that, right? Well, I guess I'm just really good at leading Bible studies. But the spiritual part of me realized that I had utterly failed this woman. That if someone was dropping out and not going and not pursuing God because, well, the group wasn't like the one that Eric led, then I had failed as a shepherd and as a leader, because my job is to point to Jesus. He's the hero of the story here. And I don't care what group you wind up in or what church you wind up in, as long as they're pointing to Jesus, then you're going to be okay. Jesus is the hero of the story. Anything good that you see in me, as a pastor, as a teacher, anything good in me is because of him. It's not because of me. It's because Jesus has given me spiritual gifts. Anything good that you see in any other church or any other pastor, it's because of him and the gifts that he has given. And my job is just to point you to him, to Jesus. It's about him. He's the hero of the story. Paul dealt with this in the church in Corinth. This is how he handled it. If you read, uh, it's supposed to say my at the top there, 1 Corinthians 1, 11 to 13 and verse 17. He says, my brothers, Some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. And another says, I follow Apollos. And another says, I follow Cephas. And still another, I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Not with words of human wisdom. Let the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. You hear what he's saying there? It's like, you guys have gone mad. You're, you're dividing over which teacher you prefer? Was Paul crucified for you? No, it was Jesus, and we're all pointing to Jesus. So stop dividing on the basis of which teacher you like the best. We're all here to point to Jesus. He's the hero of the story. This is the gospel that he points to again. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 8, in case you've not sure what the gospel is. He says, Now, brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you have received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I received, I also pass on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures. There's the gospel in a nutshell. That he was buried that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500, brothers of the, 500 of the brothers at the same time, 
most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. And then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all he appeared to me as to one abnormally born. He said, that is the good news, that Christ died for our sins, that he was died, buried, rose again to conquer sin and death. It's not about me, Paul says. It's not about Peter. It's not about Apollos. It's about him. He's the one we're pointing to, and I'm saying the same thing to you. It is not about me. It is not about this church. It is not about any other pastor or church. It is about the one to whom we point, Jesus. He is the hero of the story. He's the one we proclaim. And so I encourage you, do not put your hope in any human being. Do not elevate any pastor, any human being to some pedestal. Anything that is good in them is a gift from God. If you end up in a different church, they're pointing to Jesus, praise God. Worship him there, serve people there. Just continue pointing to Jesus. Think of the disciples. And remember, John the Baptist was like the big man on the scene until Jesus showed up. And his disciples, you know, were upset about that. And they came to John and they said to him, Rabbi, that man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one you testified about, well, he's baptizing and everyone's going to him. To this John replied, a man can receive only what is given him from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Christ, but I am sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine and it is now complete. He must become greater. I must become less. What a great line. Right? It's not about me. It's not about anyone else. It is about him. He must become greater. We must become less. No one goes to a wedding to stare at the best man. It's not about the best man. He's not the focal point. It's about the groom and the bride. And he says, that's who I am. I'm just the best man, John says. It's about the groom, the bridegroom, Jesus, coming for his bride, the church. That's what it's about. So that's the first thing. The anticlimactic ending of the book of Acts seems odd, but if you keep in mind that it's not about Paul, it's about Jesus, and it ends with that statement, that he's continuing to preach the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, that it makes sense. The second thing that is important in this passage and in the whole book of Acts is that the Holy Spirit is the power. The Holy Spirit is the power. He refers to the Holy Spirit once in this passage when he says that the Holy Spirit spoke the truth to your forefathers when he said through Isaiah the prophet, go to this people and say, you will be ever hearing but never understanding. You will be ever seeing but never perceiving. In other words, he's saying Isaiah was a prophet, but every word that he spoke was by the Holy Spirit, by God's Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. And everything that we do is by the Holy Spirit. Anything we do of spiritual significance is by the Holy Spirit. It's called this book, The Acts of the Apostles, but you could call it The Acts of the Holy Spirit. Because it's not about the apostles, it's about the Holy Spirit working through and empowering the apostles. Because remember how it all started back in Acts chapter 1? Jesus said, uh, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, 
and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And then on the day of Pentecost, as they were praying in the upper room, the Holy Spirit fell and entered each believer. You look at the scope of the Bible and how in the Old Testament it's so much about God the Father. And then in the Gospels it's about God the Son, Jesus Christ. And now in the book of Acts, the focus is on God the Holy Spirit. That as Jesus has ascended to the right hand of the Father, he pours out his Holy Spirit to be the power of God and the presence of God inside each individual. So it's no longer about us and then an external God or an external Jesus Christ. But now it is about God dwelling inside of each believer empowering us. Amen? It's incredible. That is what you have. You have the presence and the power of God inside you. As it says in 1 Corinthians six nineteen to 20 do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You are bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. God does not dwell in human buildings it's not about the temple or the tabernacle anymore. It says you're the temple that God dwells in you by his Holy Spirit. Ephesians 1, 18 to 21, Paul prays that the eyes of our hearts, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ Jesus when he raised him from the dead. And seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. The story of Acts is not the story of these people, you know, who did incredible things. It's the story of what can happen when ordinary people are filled with God's Holy Spirit. That's the story of the book of Acts carpenters and fishermen and tax collectors and all these ordinary people filled by the Holy Spirit of God, empowered so that when they go out, they do incredible things and they see transformation happen in the lives of people and in the Roman Empire. But the power is not in them. The power is in the Holy Spirit. That's the power. The same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, he says, Paul says here, lives in you. The same Holy Spirit that was working in the lives of the early church is working in our church today. And if we're not seeing the same sort of things, maybe we just need to reflect upon that. Are we walking by the Spirit? Are we living by the Spirit of God? Or are we walking in our own power? 2 Timothy 1.7, Paul says, For God did not give us a spirit of timidity or a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. Again, Acts kind of ends in an anticlimactic fashion, but it continues today. The book of Acts is just the story of the church. And the same Holy Spirit that was in those men and women 2,000 years ago is in you and is in me. Are we living empowered by God's Holy Spirit? Or are we walking in our own power, trying to do things in our own strength? One of my favorite accounts of the difference the Spirit makes is from the life of D.L. Moody. In the summer of 1871, two women of Dwight L. Moody's congregation felt an unusual burden to pray for Moody that the Lord would give him the baptism of the Holy Ghost in a fire. Moody would see them praying in the front row of his church, and he was irritated. But soon he gave in, and in September began to pray with them every Friday afternoon. He felt like his ministry was becoming a sounding brass with little power. 
On November 24, 1871, Moody's church building was destroyed in the Great Chicago Fire. He went to New York to seek financial help. Day and night, he would walk the streets desperate for the touch of God's power in his life. And then suddenly, and this part comes from his journal, one day in the city of New York, oh, what a day. I cannot describe it. I seldom refer to it. It is almost too sacred an experience to name. I can only say that God revealed himself to me, and I had such an experience of his love that I had to ask him to stay his hand. I went to preaching again. The sermons were not different. I did not present any new truths, and yet hundreds were converted. I would not be placed back where I was before that blessed experience if you should give me all the world. It would be small dust in the balance. I find that both encouraging and challenging. I find it encouraging because D.L. Moody is one of those names that as a Christian, as a pastor, I've heard many times. You know, this very well-known 19th century pastor and preacher who has a whole Bible school named after him. And here he is saying that it wasn't about him. You know, he wasn't some special human being. That he was doing his thing and, and not seeing much fruit at all from it, not much power at all. And then because of the prayers of these saints and because of the Holy Spirit of God, all of a sudden things changed. And he said, I'm preaching the same messages and now all of a sudden people are being converted. Is it me? Is it him? No, it is the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit. What are we doing thinking that it's about our methodology, right? And it's about what we can do in our flesh, right? It's about the power of the Holy Spirit, which is accessed by prayer, by praying and praying and praying some more and seeking and asking God to pour out his spirit to bring revival and to do what only he can do. The hero of the story is Jesus Christ and the power is found in the Holy Spirit. And lastly, the kingdom of God is the mission. The last line again in the book of Acts is this. Boldly and without hindrance, he preached the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ. The kingdom of God is the mission. Now, we do not live in a land of kings. Obviously, there was a very well-known queen who passed away recently. There are lands of kings and queens. We don't live in a land of kings and queens, but the simplest definition for the kingdom of God is that the kingdom of God is where wherever God is king. The kingdom of God is wherever God is king. Wherever God reigns, wherever people call him Lord, it's wherever people love and treat each other as God intended. Wherever God is enthroned as king, there is the kingdom of God. Remember Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. What happens where God becomes king? What happens to a community? It says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. The Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This is what happened right after Pentecost, right after the Holy Spirit falls and they preach the gospel, and all these people are coming to faith, and they form this community where they love each other. They're devoted to the apostles' teaching. They're devoted to the truth, but they're also devoted to the community, not just to learning about Jesus, but putting into practice the love for neighbor, to forming community where needs are met, where people are cared for. That's the kingdom of God. 
where God is king, where people want to submit to his lordship. People trust in him and want to worship him. And where they love others the way that he has loved them. That is the kingdom of God. And Paul says he continued to preach about the kingdom of God. Expanding the kingdom of God, the reign of God over people's hearts. And we're still called to the kingdom of God, to expanding that. In the words of the great commission and the great commandment. The great commission is this. Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And that is what the book of Acts was about. These men and women fulfilling this command to go and make disciples of all nations, to expand the kingdom of God, that God might be Lord everywhere on earth. In Matthew 22, 35 to 40, one of them, an expert in the law, tested Jesus with this question, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. The mission is the kingdom. Jesus is the hero of the story. We are just here to point to Jesus. It does not matter what church you find yourself in, what pastor or teacher, what nation. What matters is that we point to Jesus because he's the hero of the story. He is the Lord. He is the Savior. The Holy Spirit is the power that we are not going to be doing anything of spiritual significance by our own methodology, by our own efforts. It is only as we seek him in prayer and rely on his leadership that anything of spiritual significance will happen. And the mission is the kingdom of God, expanding God's reign over this world until the day when he returns. There's nothing else in this world worth giving your life to. Nothing else compares. And I don't care if you work as an engineer or a teacher, if you're at home as a mom or you're a student, it doesn't matter what you do. The calling is this. Go and make disciples of all nations. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. The mission is that kingdom of God to go into all the world and make disciples. What part can you play in that story? Again, I love the way Acts ends. It may seem anticlimactic, but there's a reason for it, I think. It's because Paul's not the hero of the story. It's about Jesus. It's because the story of the church continues. Continues today. The same spirit that empowered those early disciples is in you today. To walk by his spirit, seek him for what only he can do. Let me pray. Father, we do ask for revival. We pray, Lord, for a revival of faith that you would be enthroned as Lord in people's hearts and in this world and in this nation, in this community, that your kingdom would come that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. Forgive us, Lord, for giving ourselves to things that in the end don't matter eternally. And Lord, help us to give ourselves fully to you and to your kingdom, empowered by your Holy Spirit, pointing people to Jesus, the Lord and Savior of this world.
We want to see you do those things that we could not do in our own strength, Lord. Using ordinary human beings to do extraordinary, eternal things, Lord. We are yours. We commit ourselves again to you this morning as a church, as individuals, Lord. Use us, Lord, for your glory and for your kingdom. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.